Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Capitalize for Kids podcast. This week we speak with Garrick Tiplady, the Managing Director of Facebook and Instagram Canada. And the reason I enjoyed this conversation with Garrick is that Garrick's career path is a bit non-traditional. He started working at Boston Consulting Group and then went to Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board and then over to Rogers, so traditional kind of uh, big institution route. And then left everything to, to, to run a couple uh, startups and started a few businesses and was an entrepreneur and then joined Facebook a few years ago. A, a really interesting background and a guy who wears a ton of different hats, not the least of which is a philanthropic hat and through his involvement with, with a number of charities, um, most notably for us would be would be Right to Play, a uh, big partner of Capitalize for Kids. And as you might remember, we interviewed Johan Koss uh, on the season one of the Capitalize for Kids podcast and so you know it's great to great to speak with Garrick to get his perspective on all things you know, social media the future of technology life as a parent in a pandemic all great topics and and this episode is certainly certainly worth the listen so I hope you enjoy this conversation did happen before the rebrand to meta so just something to keep in mind as you listen but without further ado here is our interview with Garrick Tiplady. There's there's a lot of ways we can start. There's a lot that I want to touch on. I'd, I'd be remiss not to get your your background for our audience because you know to end up at a place like Facebook, leading the country here in Canada, um, that's uh, you know you, you, a, a very esteemed role to to hold. And you had an interesting background, so would love to hear kind of uh, from from your time at McGill. Uh, Going back yeah. to, to, to your, you now, just that's, that's going that's going a long way back. <laughs> Would love to hear how uh, how how it kind of shaped uh, a few of the events that shaped you to, to getting where you are today. Yeah, no, it's uh, so you know it's interesting. I did uh, so McGill. I did a bachelor of science in physiology. I was uh, hell bent on going to medical school, so that that was the chosen profession. And, uh, you know, it was interesting as I got into third and fourth year, um, completely geeked out and started talking to as many physicians as I could just around the profession, how to think about it. And, you know, that was back in the back in the 90s. I'm, I'm dating myself, but a little while ago now. And, you know, most of the, the physicians at the time said they loved loved the practice, but um, just with the structure and everything going on at that time, said, you know what, really think around what you want to do as a career. And so I ended up um, as, you know, some Canadians are fortunate enough to do. I went to Europe for a week, stayed for a year and, uh, you know, got the, the travel bug out of me. When I came back, ended up working for the Heart and Stroke Foundation. It was a natural tie in to the, the science work that I had been in. Um, and I was fortunate because at the time, a lot of uh, a lot of the management team at Heart and Stroke had come from Procter and Gamble, and so I had always toyed between medicine and and going into business. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get a role at Procter and Gamble. And look, as a you know new undergrad out of school working at Procter and Gamble to me was you know my first MBA. I would say. You know, they give you the structure around uh, consumers. It is such a consumer first mentality. And, and honestly, that's held with me through my career and even ties into some of the work that we're doing with, with Facebook now. Um, 
and then went back to med school or not med school, uh, MBA, um, uh, following that. And then my real sort of, you know, what I call my real first job was Boston Consulting Group. Um, and I was classic consulting. Um, I worked uh, mainly across the globe, um, working with telcos and retailers. You know, it's, it's, it's great coming out of school because you have an opportunity to work with Fortune 500 companies at a very senior senior level. And very quickly, you learn how to think strategically, place long-term bets. And again, I think that's, that's sort of critical for folks. Um, the other piece that I, I say to my team now around my time at Boston Consulting Group is it really does allow you to look across multiple industries and really, when it comes down to it, business is about being curious and asking questions. And I think that what that's what makes a great consultant. And I think it what it's what makes a great business leader. But you know, one one really quick aside, you know, I was very fortunate at BCG to work with David Pico. Um, David passed away a few years ago, but in my view, he was such a visionary. You know, there was an old saying at BCG, I think I'm gonna get it wrong. But I, it'll be close. It'll be close enough, which is give me a lever big enough and I can change the world. And David really epitomized that. And the reason I bring up David is when SARS hit Toronto, David was the individual that brought together the city of Toronto. He created the Toronto City Summit Alliance. And remember the big SARS concert they did to get people back out that was led by David. And, you know, I look at the work that we're helping with, this is our shot today with COVID and it just, it brings back such parallels for me. Um, so that, that was my time at Boston Consulting Group. And then I was fortunate enough to work at Rogers while Ted Rogers was still alive. I got, got to work very closely with Ted. Um, within Rogers, I ran the strategy team. I ran, I developed the customer experience organization, which at the time was, you know, not many people across, not many companies across North America had had developed one. So we had an opportunity to really think about how does the customer experience impact everything that people do. Um, and so that was just a, a great experience. And then I launched a business called Chatter, which was a startup within a big business. And that led me down an entrepreneurial path. You know, I had the itch and uh, I left Rogers because I had started a business um, and was fortunate enough over the next four and a half years to start a number of businesses, varying industries. I, I was really dabbling in everything from a wireless refurbishment business to uh, facial recognition on digital glass to a video distribution platform. And you know, I can tell you tons of stories. I think over there, I, I really, really got to appreciate entrepreneurs. Um, and again, tying back to Facebook, it's a big part of what we do working with small businesses. I have so much respect for small businesses. My time as an entrepreneur, I say, was the hardest I've ever had to work. Uh, has been you know, the most rewarding just in terms of being able to have an impact on a team. Um, and so I just, I have the utmost respect for anyone who goes into entrepreneurship. And then that led me to Facebook. Um, I was working in the video space with a company that it, uh, I had founded called uh, Vemba. And, uh, you know, I got the call from Facebook and, you know, I look at Facebook and at, at the time I looked back, what other platform is there where you could truly drive positive societal change, you know, back to the, give me a lever. I was just going to say, it sounds like you found, 
Sounds right? like you found your lever. And so, you know, I just look at that and the ability to work with businesses, large and small, to help them grow their business, to work with the community, to work with Canadians and to provide a community for Canadians. To me, it was just it, it was the right move, the right time and very glad I made the move. And it sounds like, too, you had um, in, in your career the early on some great mentors uh, in David and Ted and then also at, at Procter Gamble. You mentioned that just the learning there. I'm sure you had uh, some, some strong mentors. And I've always whether mentor or coach to me, they're interchangeable. And anytime I get students reaching out, asking for advice, I'm like, as quickly as you can choose the right coach, like the right job is important, obviously, but if you can suss out in diligence, a strong coach that you can follow for a handful of years early in your career, it's transformational. Um, So absolutely. I am a huge believer in mentorship. Um, And I look, I was very lucky with David and Ted, you know, visionary Canadians, you know, that's one that's one aspect of it. Um, you know, I'll tell you that the manager I learned the most from was Catherine Roche, who is now the CMO at uh, BMO Bank at Boston Consulting Group. I just think around how Catherine managed teams and people and just she was so unbelievably strategic. And so, you know, my guidance on mentorship is reach out, don't be afraid to ask. Um, Having the right mentor and the right coach is so critical. And for those of you who are in a position to be a mentor, I think you learn just as much from the people that you're mentoring and you've got to be open. It's got to be an equal relationship and it's got to be back and forth. And the amount I've learned from people who I've mentored um, has, has just been unbelievable. I would, I would imagine so. And so I, I figure that now you've stepped into more of a, a mentor type role, a coaching role. Um, and I'm curious, quasi switching gears, but, but taking that lens of being a coach or a mentor, how has your advice or how has um, that shifted over the past 18 months, you know, pre pandemic, I'm sure you had, yeah. you were giving, and then now, now in the pandemic, how have you been kind of helping, helping guide your, your mentees? Yeah, I, you know, generally, I would say I, um, my guidance to people has always been, you've got to live, you've got to be curious. So, you know, this, this is sort of long standing guidance, ask not the first question, but the second, third and fourth question, because that's where the real insight comes out. Um, So that's, that's general, but I do think we've seen a big shift over the last 18 months in terms of leadership and how people think about leadership, you know, we've moved from, and I think there was a natural evolution underway anyway, I think COVID has accentuated it from, you know, your traditional tops down IQ driven management to much more of an EQ emotional understanding. I think teams need to know the real people that they're working with and who they're working for and vice versa. Um, And it's important that we have real deep personal relationships across our organizations. And so that's been a big piece. You know, you just look at the the toll and mental health around what we've seen um, in the last 18 months. And I think that's just a new part of how we have to operate. And so, you know, back to the, the direct question on mentorship, you know, taking care of yourself first and foremost um, is really, really important. And I think the other message is where you can 
and you've got the ability to be able to do so taking care of the community and those who are around you um, and anything you can do around that would be you know is is absolutely positive how do you how are you implementing that at, like within your like within your employees let's say let's just use that that as the parameter here like how do you create digital culture within facebook like uh, it's something that's talked about a lot you know having a great culture but which used to mean like an office space that's you know well lit and there's trees and you can bring your dog like that's one way to make how do you do that now today or how have you been been doing that at, at facebook you know we've had lots of discussions and as as i've had discussions with leaders across the country i think everybody is trying to figure out new ways you know when we were sort of originally uh, into it there was a lot of you know coffee roulettes and meeting with with people but i i think you know more broadly at the end of the day i don't think the office defines culture i think it is a nice add to the culture but culture is really about the personal relationships and the emotional space that you create for employees so whether that's making time for employees, you know, I always make it a priority to have a personal discussion before you jump into business. Like you should, you should really understand what's going on. And particularly within COVID, making room for those conversations, because I can't tell what you're going through with you on a screen. You know, you, you could look and seem absolutely fine. You don't know what's going on beneath the surface. And, and making time for that to me is just critical. You know, we've been Such doing, we, we do, we do a lot of work with kids help phone, um, which I, I know, you know, and, um, you know, we, we've been helping on that front. We've launched a messenger uh, capability for people to reach out. And I, but I think the, the bigger stat on the health phone or help phone, which ties back to what we've been talking about is they've doubled the amount of calls into the help phone throughout COVID. And I think it just goes to the state that we're all dealing with, and we've got to do what we can to make sure we help out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it sounds like mental health, which, which if you've been in the news in the past few years, it would be very, very obvious, but mental health is a, a supreme focus of, of Facebook's, I, I, you know, I'm sure that Facebook emotional, uh, ties into uh, some of the kids' help phone work that you're doing. Um, but maybe maybe shedding light on Facebook emotional would be would be helpful. Um, like uh, to be to, uh, I'm not on Facebook a ton, but I, I didn't get a chance to to appreciate um, that effort and that resource until you know a few weeks ago when I was doing some research. So it would be would be curious to hear a bit more of that. Yeah, so you know, with with kids help fund, there, we've we've had a number of initiatives around mental health. Um, as I mentioned, we've had a long-standing relationship with Kids Help Phone, um, and as I had said, you know, we've launched uh, Messenger, which is effectively if you are on Facebook and you need to re reach uh, Kids Help Phone, you can do that through twenty four seven through Facebook Messenger. We've also just launched an Instagram guide, um, which is really focused on youth. Um, we know youth are struggling with mental health. I mean, I have three kids. Right. And it's been, you know, the last 18 months, you know, I think we've been generally okay as a family, but you see the kids struggle. You know, it's not being able to be with their friends um, has been a challenge. And I, I think it's just it's pressured them in ways that I think 
none of us could have really understood prior to going into the pandemic. And I think as part of it, they're online more than they've ever been. They have to for school. Um, and so I think it's really important that we prioritize mental health. And so, you know, we launched this Instagram guide. It helps youth cope. Um, and just anything that we can do to help uh, around that, we're going to continue to invest. And and then there's maybe the adjacent, um, you know, the, something that's quasi adjacent to mental health, but certainly uh, a driver is is how open we all are, how the ability to see one another, which um, driven by vaccines and <laughs> government seeing that we are uh, properly inoculated. But but I know that that's been a focus of yours as well. Um, is the uh, is making sure that we're all getting getting our shots. Yes, it has been. It's been a big focus. Um, so broadly speaking, Facebook has been very involved in vaccination and COVID related information. Um, so talking about Facebook more broadly, um, we've removed 20 million pieces of content from Facebook and Instagram globally. Um, we're connecting people to uh, viable and trusted information. I think we've connected now more than 2 billion people to our COVID information center, which provides you know, facts about COVID, whether that's the WHO or Public Health Canada. And then we've, we're removing uh, and labeling content. So we've spent a lot of time working with experts around the globe to make sure that the right information is in the hands of citizens. Now in Canada, we've been um, we've been working, as I mentioned, with Public Health Canada. But we've I've also been very, uh, as this Facebook has been very involved in vaccination efforts. Started back in January, um, I was the co-chair of the Ontario Vaccination Support Council, which was a council of 250 businesses across the province, uh, in partnership with the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and uh, Bruce Power. And, you know, if you think about that, we had businesses back in January, the context was all about supply. When vaccines weren't flowing, how do we think about increasing supply and market? And so there was a lot of work working hand in hand with the public health units, developing mobile clinics, setting up hockey hubs where people can go in these mass vax clinics, setting up volunteers, you know, literally connecting uh, people with travel capabilities so we could get the elderly into the clinics. Um, but it was interesting as the as the vaccines started to flow in Ontario, the the dialogue really shifted in about March to hesitancy. And so, if you look at Canada. Um, you know, we've done really well, but there was a hesitancy issue in this country, and it was people who um, have typically had systematic issues or access to healthcare challenges with health healthcare. It was the Black, Indigenous, Asian, low-income Canadians as a group that were more hesitant than not, as well as Gen Z. And so, um, what ended up happening? I started to have a discussion with Kyle Norrington, who's the CEO of Labatt, to say, should we create a vaccine confidence campaign? Happened in the U.S. There was a business roundtable. They created a fifty million dollar fund, and we said we've got to do something across the scope of Canada. And so we were building a coalition called Together Again. 
very quickly though, we realized it was other groups in market that were trying to do this, the same thing. This is our shot, which we have become highly involved in. This amazing grassroots organization working with local docs and influencers and celebrities, you know, Ryan Reynolds helped kick it off. Haley Wickenizer has been behind it. Clara Hughes has been behind it. And then we've got these amazing leads, uh, Guri Panu and Dr. Andrew Anand, who have been sort of the driving force behind that. And so we said, you know what, we are better off coming together. Um, and so we all rolled under the this is our shot umbrella to create what I would say is one of the biggest vaccine confidence campaigns across the country. And the idea was we create national level messaging to help with vaccine confidence, targeted messaging against communities in languages and in voices that resonate with those communities. We launched virtual town halls, again, real Canadians talking to real Canadians about real issues. And then we launched the This Is Our Shot website, which has access to COVID information in 19, or 19 20, sorry, it's updated now, 36 different languages. Um, and so we've, we've really been focused on that. We just recently launched Rewards for Change under that banner, which is incentives to try and get the final part of the population over the line and get as many shots in arms. Um, but we're really proud of the work. The, the latest data from BCG, speaking about BCG, they keep coming back, um, has shown that vaccine confidence campaigns in Canada have positively influenced over 2.2 million Canadians who were otherwise hesitant to get a shot. And so just it's that Incredible. type of work that makes me proud to be part of the initiative. Um, and the last piece, again, talking to Kids Help Phone, um, that initiative has also raised $100,000 to go towards the kids' help phone. So just, it's been a great initiative. It's been communities coming together. We've got 250 businesses involved. We've got frontline workers. That to me is Canada at its best. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, seeing all of it come together in such a short period of time, while all of those people were still doing their full, like their day job to be able to go and put together something like this is our shot and, and hit it home, like really hit the nail on the head um, and get the proper messaging. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a, an impressive uh, demonstration of uh, you know, working together and cooperation and, and getting something done. Um, makes me very proud to be uh, a, a Canadian. That's, that's for sure. And is, is it something for you now? Um, like working with all these business leaders, putting something like this together, does that do the same? Like, does that inspire you to now think of like what else we can do if we, if we work together? Well, I, I think there is, I think there's a lot of opportunity for the business community to continue to work together. Um, and I think we're seeing it more and more. Um, you know, we, we started RBC, launched Canada United last year, which again was a consortium of businesses. We were, you know, very supportive of that initiative, working hand in hand with them. And that was around how do we actually help economic recovery for small businesses back when small businesses were shut down and how do we help drive business? You know, you see organizations like CELAR, which we have a, we're a part of, uh, which is the Canadian Innovation Leaders Against Racism. 
you know, they are coming together and working to systematically address racism in Canada. That is business and community coming together under a single umbrella. You know, I, I can go on just around the number of initiatives that are in place. And to me, it goes back to the power of community, whether it's the business community, whether it's uh, individual communities and groups across Canada, there is power in that when we all work together towards a common cause. When I was doing research for to, ahead of talking with you, um, like your resume is very impressive from the work you've done in, in industry. And yet anything I can find around your name tied to Facebook is mostly social related, um, which I thought was a, an interesting uh, like transition, perhaps, maybe that's just publicly facing. Um, but I'm curious to know, like how your time is split between addressing social issues in Canada, um, and perhaps globally, uh, versus kind of driving technology initiatives at Facebook. You, you know, it's, it's interesting. It is, uh, I made a conscious choice 15 years ago, that, um, for me, it was important. And I saw it as my responsibility to do what I can to get back. And so it's always been it's always been part of um, just how I've thought around showing up and making sure we're we're part of community, whether it's work with Right to Play, you know, whether it's with the, the power plant uh, that I'm involved with. But it's always been really important. And you know, I used to describe, you know, when you get asked the question, you know, what drives you? Um, I used to describe that as change. Change drives me. But about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, that shifted to impact drives me. And so whether that's impact in business or impact in the community, look, I am very, very privileged in the position that I'm in. And as I said, I see it as my responsibility to use that privilege in as many positive ways as possible. Um, and just I'll continue to focus on it. It's, it's part of who I am. It's part of who I will always be. And you make time, like you prioritize and you make time. 15 years ago. So you were like 20. Um, <laughs> for, and, and, thank you. and the, thank you for that. Well, I mean, those of you, I mean, this is audio, so no one's going to see this, but we're on zoom right now and you, you look like you can't be over 30. So, so I'll throw that in there, but the, you know, 15 years ago that, that switch happened. Um, that's also something, a piece of advice I always try and give, uh, you know, students and, and, and young professionals is get involved in, in a nonprofit cause or like a charitable cause that you care about early and often, like get involved and commit to it because, it will just fuel so much of this journey. Um, so, so what was it for you that, uh, that was it a certain cause? Was it a certain charity? What was it that kind of shifted you? So there, there were two factors. Uh, one going back to the, the work that David Pico launched again, um, we've spoken about that, but that was sort of the, the first taste of it, but really I'll tell you where it happened. It was actually your first, podcast interview. It was Johan Koss. So, uh, who, the legend Johan Koss. Johan, who founded Right to Play. Um, I was invited to a dinner and, you know, it was a small dinner. It was, it was 10 people around the table. Still remember it to this day. And I had never heard of Johan before. And he got up and talked about Right to Play and what the organization was doing. And he told me of his story. 
And his story, for those of you who don't know it, he was an Olympian, uh, four-time gold medalist in Lillehammer, Johan's from Norway, national hero. He could have written his ticket to do anything. He had his medical degree. He was set on medicine and he chose to use his platform to launch right to play to help kids across the globe. And I can, you know, I can tell you about sort of the mandate for right to play, which is using the power of play to really empower children to rise above adversity you know, and this is working with kids in some of the most dangerous places in the wor world. And Johan literally spent his time and, you know, spent the next 15 years building Right to Play. So I remember vi vividly, the dinner ended, my house had burnt down. It was our, you know, our first starter home. Our house had burnt down a week before. And um, I remember saying to Johan, Johan, I have no money. I don't know what my financial situation is because, you know, we're dealing with this, this house issue, but I want to get involved um, and I will do anything I can to help you and your cause. And I think I was on asked to be sit on the board a week later. Um, and I've been on the board now for 12, 15 years and you know, it is something I am deeply, deeply passionate about. I've spent time in Uganda, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, Northern Canada. And, you know, I, I just look at the ability to have an impact on children where you can resist exploitation, help them with prejudice, help prevent disease, um, talk about child protection, girls empowerment. To me, it's just that has been one of those areas that I just I honestly I found my passion. It's that's so, so important. And it really is an incredible organization. And you're, you're absolutely right. Johan is, is an impressive, an incredibly impressive guy who, whilst training for the Olympics where he won gold medals, he was studying to be a doctor, like just one of those once every millennial uh, or millennium type of type of individuals. Um, and, and it's, it's nice to kind of meet those people and then be able to get involved. And, and now it's clearly been something that you've, you've made a, a focus and a priority for you. Uh, so, uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious how, uh, how right to play has managed through the pandemic during like distancing and, and, you know, I'm sure kids can't play as much as they once were able to, like, how has that been impacted? Yeah, look, I, I think like most, uh, nonprofits over the last 18 months, it's been quite difficult. Um, you know, the, the organizations have really needed to figure out both the operating model and, you know, right to play impacts 2 million children a year. And so it was a big responsibility to figure out how to actually work in a remote environment um, or how to put safety protocols in place so that we continue to work with children in refugee camps across the world. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you just a story because I, I was talking to them the other day, you know, even when you look at our indigenous community in Canada, they were in total lockdown. I know the organization pivoted to online programs uh, completely to reach the youth in northern Canada, um, and they ended up engaging with the elders and community mentors to offer virtual sessions. Now, does that replace in-person play and in-person activity? No, but, you know, they did the best they can. And I, I think the organization has done a wonderful job navigating. Absolutely. There's no replacing in-person to your point, but 
but yeah, doing the best you can with, with what we got. That's all we, that's all we can do. That's yeah, all we can exactly. do. What, what, let me ask you, what, what excites you about being an executive, uh, a leader in, in uh, one of probably the leading technology company in the world? What, what excites you about, about running the Canadian post? What excites you about this country in this space uh, right now? I look, I think, um, so, so number one, let's get through the pandemic <laughs> for first and foremost, but I do look at some of the shifts. And again, you know, part of the reason why I joined Facebook in the first place was the platform to actually have positive impact. And so, um, whether that's working with the, the the BIPOC community, and we just you know we did a grants program with CLAR to support Black-owned businesses. We've just launched a We Thrive uh, Indigenous Buying Guide uh, with a number of partners, including the um, Canadian Council of, of Aboriginal Business. And so, to me, first and foremost, those initiatives continue to excite me that we're in a position to help support where we can not only to drive reconciliation, uh, but also to drive uh, economic activity. I just think it's so important to help continue to shed light. So that's that's one area. More broadly, um, look, we're in, we're in a world where we've had this major shift to digital overnight. You know, Canada was lagging, you know, and, and you, you know, you hear the numbers, they've 10x, they've triple, whatever the number happens to be, you know, I think the latest I saw was we moved from a 5% online penetration to 30%. Like that is a fundamental shift in how we interact. And so I look at that in relationship to the opportunity for both small and large businesses across Canada to reach new audiences, to reach new markets to really change the way they interact with customers, to be much more customer focused. There is huge, huge opportunity there. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited about that um, from a forward-looking perspective. And commerce is one of the bets that we're making at Facebook. I think the the other place that I think we're, we're really- Commerce as in like e-commerce, like have Facebook shop. Yeah, so if you think around commerce, this is like, People interacting with businesses uh, to effectively grow across our platforms, you know, and that's looking at service across all layers of the commerce stack has been a, a focus of ours. Secondly, I think we're going to start to see more and more um, the rise of creators and how do we think about creators and that creator community being able to earn a living off of the platform. And that's something that we're continuing to invest in. And then the last one, a little more heady. Uh, but Mark has been talking a lot about Facebook becoming a metaverse company. And so what that means is if you think around the evolution of the internet, you had sort of, you know, your standard internet, you now have the mobile internet and the next evolution is the metaverse. And what that means is you as an individual being able to have real presence in a digital world. Um, and so we've been spending a lot of time thinking about that and look, that opens up opportunities for people, for businesses, for entertainment, for new forms of commerce. You know, it's a little bit further down the path, but that's what's to come. Okay. So happy you brought up metaverse because I was, I was trying to figure out a way to get there and you brought me there. So thank you. And, um, so it, I would, okay. So, um, 
talk to me about like maybe some of the conversations you're having around metaverse, like the opportunities. Yes. Um, but, but what it looks like, you know, version one to, to today where it's at versus ultimately where you see it going. So I'm not the expert on this. Um, but what I will say is where it's going is a world where you can interact, uh, with people where there's a real sense of presence in a digital space, whether that's a work environment. So, you know, effectively think around yourself sitting around a conference room in a virtual space, as we, you know, we talk about being remote for the last 18 months through to entertainment and concerts and being there live or backstage and being able to, you know, see and interact with artists, or obviously from a gaming perspective, being truly immersed, right? That's sort of that, you know, the long-term vision, or, you know, for me sitting on the couch with my dad who lives, you know, two hours away and being able to have a conversation where it feels more personal than it does over the phone or over, you know, a video conference call. So that's where I think we are. You know, we're still obviously in the early stages, you know, today it's more about AR, VR, and how do we work with businesses, um, particularly today around AR, VR and new experiences to help products or to help consumers, Canadians experience new types of product in different ways. That's where we are today. Obviously gaming is there as well, but you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity as we think about the future. So much like a, a friend of mine um, started a, a company where as soon as like the whole NFT rage came online, uh, call it, call it eight, eight months, a year ago. Um, he immediately was like, people are going to need to house these assets these digital assets. So he started thinking instead of like I did when I was like, this is, I don't understand this. He's like, I'm going to start creating rooms that people can like host their virtual assets. And I thought it was the craziest thing. And now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's we're catching moving, on. We're moving down that path. We are moving. So I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I would imagine having three kids helps. I mean, it helps kind of see how kids are interacting with technology, the ways that it's embed, advancing relative to, where you were when you were 12 or 14 or 16 and, and the, the, they're just so simpatico with, with technology in a way that there's no adoption anymore. It's, it's, it's almost one with. It, it is. And I would say, you know, there, there's pros and cons to that as the parent, I worry about how much time my kids spend online. And I'll tell you, you know, where, where I sort of grapple with it. I'm sure most parents are the same, you know, particularly with me in my role is, you know, my, my default is, get off the damn phone um, and focus. But then if you actually stop and ask questions and understand what they're doing and how they're engaging with their friends, it's no different than when I would, you know, pick up and call my friends on the party line. Now I'm really dating myself on the party line, you know, several decades ago, they're just interacting differently. And I think, you know, as executives in technology and anyone in business, like really pay attention to what your kids are doing, not just, you know, the, the typical lens of you're spending too much time, but really understanding how they're interacting because there's, there's insight in there and we just need to pay attention to it. Absolutely. Are you, are you, uh, do they all have Facebook and it's, are you, they're all online on, on, on the different social media platforms. They're online. My youngest is too young. Uh, so we, we don't have, uh, her, but, uh, yeah, the other, the other two, they're across all platforms, all applications. There you go. I like to, I like to hear that. Um, and so 
I, I would imagine um, switching gears a bit um, that if you look like longer term on, on, you know, on the excitement of Canada, like a yeah. big thing for, for you and your team is, is talent, like a, making sure that you have, have the right people and that you have a pipeline of people. Uh, you know, Facebook is probably thinking about the talent they're going to have in Canada in 2040. Um, it, how has uh, the, A, I'd say, is that true? Like, are you focused on, on talent? Is that a big focus for you? And, and B, how has the pandemic shifted that thought process where is someone in Canada now equal to somebody in the US or somebody in Asia because of the remote nature now of, of everything? No, it's 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 a great question. We have a we have a lot of discussion on talent. I think at the end of the day, the team you have is what's going to make or break the business. And so we spend a lot of time talking about talent, talent uh, development, diversity of talent is you know critically important as we think around uh, how we continue to build the team and how we find people, you know, who may not necessarily have been going down a technology path. Like, how do we build that out? So that has been a, a major focus across the organization. Um, you know, I think the talent in Canada from what I've seen is, you know, continues to grow. I think we've got some of the best talent in the world. Like I truly, truly see that, um, as we look at building out our team and as it, as it relates to your question on remote, I think the world is still trying to figure that out. You know, there's, there's legal implications around how you manage. I do think, you know, we're going to be, and Facebook is committed to, um, you know, significant proportion of the business being remote. And I think that's the right thing. Um, but we also want to make sure from a culture perspective, you know, back to the question that you asked early on is making sure we set up the systems and the process to ensure that we maintain the culture that we've been able to build because it's such a strong and positive culture. And, and how do we continue to maintain that? Uh, in sort of this mixed world of office, remote, and then some hybrid. Yeah, yeah. the the, the talent, yeah, the talent piece has got to be such a, a major focus. I would imagine to your point. Like it's got to be. Yeah, a lot of the conversations have to be have to be around that. And and it it's nice to hear because I also believe this. I'm very bull, very bullish on Canada. I, I I'm always uh, speaking about how qualified our talent is, and it excites the heck out of me. Um, and especially seeing like, you know, you're seeing some of, uh, you know, of my general, like people who I went to school with, they went off to the U.S. Now they're coming back. Like a lot of people coming back, back to Canada, which is also, which is also exciting. I, I honestly, I love to see that, that we've got folks coming back from uh, who've been in the U.S. and, and are coming back. And uh, hopefully we can continue that trend. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, it's, it's super important. And um, okay. So, so switching gears uh, a touch. Um, you, you did a, and you, you've alluded to a few times now, the, the small medium business loan that you guys had a hundred million dollar fund that you guys um, launched in the pandemic. Um, we'll be curious if, if to hear just a bit of an update on how that, how that went, what you saw, what you learned, um, you know, is it fully deployed? Like just, just curious um, how that's transpired. Yeah, so glo globally, we had a $100 million fund. In Canada, uh, we launched a uh, $3.5 million business grant program. Um, and we coupled that with supporting uh, two initiatives. One, Digital Main Street, which is really around helping bring businesses online. Um, and, you know, there's a number of partners uh, who are involved in that, you know, continue to invest and continue to focus on building a digital main street. 
And then secondly, with Canada United and the investments that we made behind Canada United last year to support small business. In addition, we've also launched two funds, um, one with CELAR, as I had mentioned, um, really focused on supporting Black-owned businesses. And then uh, earlier this year, we had also launched a, a small business fund focused on the Indigenous community. And so, you know, the idea there is how do we continue to support small business? We've also launched, uh, in addition to financial relief, training. So we've been working with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce uh, and the Business Resilience Network to launch free virtual training programs for small, medium businesses. And then lastly, from a product and research perspective, you know, we're just we're continuing to invest in our platforms and continue to evolve our platforms, knowing that our business uh, business partners needs are evolving. So making sure that we're staying up to date on that. But really, the, the idea is how do we continue to support economic activity across small business? It, it's it's fascinating to me to hear you talk so much about supporting uh local commerce, the community. Um, it, it's obviously so important to you as an organization, but oftentimes that's overlooked because we think of Facebook as just, you know, maybe we think of it as just a social media platform, but it's so much more. It's a pillar of the, of the community, um, clearly by all the work that you're doing in, in the community. What, what um, one question I, I, I need to ask you, um, what piece of technology, uh, excites you the most over the coming years that is not a moonshot it's within it's within our our grasp it's close um what or or developing what technology is is the most exciting to you so you know it's it's interesting the metaverse and you know i've been i've been going a little bit deeper on the metaverse of late i think that is you know from a pure technology and opening up worlds and bringing down barriers i think is just it's so exciting to see um i would also say the work that facebook is doing around uh, um financial services, and you think around bringing the ability uh, for consumers around the globe to have access to affordable banking, that to me is exciting because it opens up new financial stability, new economic activity for parts of the world that quite honestly need it most. So that is where I would say, if you, if you forced me to pick one, it would be that with the metaverse being a really close second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Creating a more equitable platform to access for f financial access is, uh, is a game changer. You know, that's, that's, that really is a great equalizer and, and hopefully will will create parity um, amongst all citizens. That's, that's the, that's the dream. Um, Grateful, grateful of the opportunity to learn about all that, uh, all that you and Facebook have been, have been up to. It's, it's a lot more than, <laughs> I think it's a lot more than, than most people, most people think. Um, it's so easy to, uh, uh, you know, throw heat social media's way for, uh, the issues that we think it creates. Um, and, and like, it's, it's, that's such a, a tip of the iceberg of, of all that, you know, a group like Facebook is doing, um, and, and we often overlook the benefits because now it's par for the course and we expect that connectivity that you've brought in. Um, so it's, it's a tough balancing act, I would imagine, from, from your perspective, but you're doing a fantastic job. 
Thank you. And Evan, thank you for having me on. And just a, a huge thank you to you and the work that Capitalize for Kids are, are doing. I think it's important to make sure we call out that work and uh, and the good that you're bringing to, uh, to Canada as well. So just a major thank you. And there you have it. My conversation with Garrick Tiplady. This episode of the Capitalize for Kids podcast was brought to you, as always, by none other than our digital genius, Eugene McCashew, and I'm your host, Evan Sequeira. If you would like to learn more about the work that we do at Capitalize for Kids and how we reduce wait times for children's mental health service providers, please feel free to visit our website at www.capitalizeforkids.org. We also are on all the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Find us there. Learn more about our work. We appreciate you as listeners and supporters. And stay tuned for our next episode coming up in a couple weeks.